So with thankful hearts, we gather together this morning, thankful to be together. Amen. There's uh, no point in, uh, in being outside. The fish may be biting, but it's too cold to find out. Too late in the morning to be sitting in a tree stand. The, uh, I think... Most all of the worthwhile deer have already been shot. I mentioned to my son-in-law the other day that uh, it seemed to me that they were shooting a lot more deer in that swamp in front of our house than, than, than I thought was there. And he says, well, Bill, you have to realize that a lot of people miss. <laughs> Who knew, huh? I was thinking every shot was a dead deer. Of course, after the third or fourth shot, I began to wonder. It's a <coughs> you see the questions on the screen? Who's, uh, who's familiar with the novel 1984? So we'll consider these questions... Uh, in response time this morning, how do, you, how do you understand what it means to show hospitality? Of course, today we're focusing in on the call of Scripture to show hospitality to one another. What has stuck, stuck with you in this series, on, in this series on one anotherness? What has stuck with you in this series on one anotherness? Uh, Pastor Ben didn't include all the questions that I I submitted on that one. Mine said, uh, what has stuck with you, if anything, in this series on one anotherness? So, Pastor Ben is confident that something he edited. He, edited. He, took the, he took the privilege, hyphenated, yes. And that's good. I, I go along with that. And how does our relationship with one another bring glory to God through Jesus Christ? Keeping in mind... The admonition that we encountered once again this morning, that all that we do, do all to the glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The New Testament is an, an interesting book. I think we often lose sight of the intent, the reason, behind the, the writing of, of these, these scriptures is the Holy Spirit was inspiring, that God the Holy Spirit was moving in the lives of these men to have them write these things. Um, we'll read this morning initially from, from the book of First Peter. And this was, a, this was a book that was written very early on in, in the first century. Um, I, I would suspect that the latest date, and man, I know all of y'all own study Bibles, so you're going to check me out on this, so I'll take a chance. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. The latest, the latest possible date, I would say, for the writing of First Peter would be, certainly the latest would be A.D. 60. I mean, that, that, that's way down the latest possible. Uh, and, and so it was that 
So if, if um, the churches had begun to be established, let's say, um, let's say somewhere around A.D. 40, let's say that Paul was in Galatia, A.D. 40, and then uh, subsequent years, and I'm, I'm, given, I'm given a broad span here, a lot of possibilities. So, so when, when you have a church, when you have a church and you don't have a New Testament, when you have a church and there's no, there's no 1 Corinthians, there's, there's no Titus, there's no 1 2 Timothy, How do, you, how do you do church? How do you know? How, how, do you, how do you know what it means to be a Christian? You've, been, you've, you've heard the gospel preached that God by His grace sent His Son into the world to seek and to save those who are lost, that by His blood shed on Calvary's cross we have remission of our sins, we have been forgiven and that we have been granted a gift of eternal life. And by the, by the grace of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit, these things you have believed, you have accepted, and you have, you have received the gift of God, His salvation, the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit. Now what? You know, what does that mean tomorrow? Obviously, the, the, the Lord's will is, is not that, that we would immediately be caught up into his, uh, in his heaven upon the day of our salvation. So, so what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a, a Christian community? What does it mean to be a Christian in fellowship, in, in covenant with one another? So you see, the, you see the predicament that they're in. Uh, A.D. 45. So God the Holy Spirit, according to, to His wisdom, the bounty, the richness of His mercy, and His love for His people, His church, those whom He has called out of the world, he inspires the apostles to write. And to write these, these letters, these epistles, these, these books of the New Testament that are to the church that you might know God's will, God's purpose, God's way for your life in Him. That's what all this one-anotherness is about. It's how, how we are one another. What it means, what it looks like, how to go about being the people of God. 1 Peter chapter 4. We read then at verse 7 and following. 1 Peter chapter 4. <coughs> The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, 
since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now you can see in this, this short passage that I've read this morning. You can see as you, you put this in the context of a people newly, newly aware, newly involved, newly committed to that life in Christ with one another, who have been called out to be a church. You can see one instruction after another set, set in, a, in, a, in a purpose in a context of the why and then the how. The end of all things is at hand as, as Jesus had so frequently taught his followers, his disciples, to ever be living with an expectation, with an anticipation of his imminent return. There is... Nothing in my estimation, there's nothing that's, that's more life-changing. There's nothing that will set us most surely on the path, <coughs> excuse me, the path that God intends for us than to have this attitude in our minds, in our hearts. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Living with the earnest desire the expectation, come, Lord Jesus. And so it is with this mindset and this, this idea that, that we're told then, and I want to focus in this morning, the, the limited amount of time, we're going to focus in on show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on without grumbling. Because there's only one, of two, uh, one or two of you that are inclined to grumble. And you know who you are, so deal with it. Don't make me name you. Have, show hospitality to one another. For the end of all things is at hand. How does that, how does that work? What, is, what does that mean? Well, it means that for the time that we have here, for the short time that we have here, knowing that, that we're not at home, knowing that we are, in fact, pilgrims, knowing, in fact, that we are pilgrims, traveling, right, moving through. And where are we headed? We're headed to our heavenly home. Some would call it the celestial city. Right? And so it is that as the idea that's very, very much implanted in both the Jewish and, and Greek cultures, the idea of showing hospitality to, to, to strangers and to travelers, 
people that, that have no place to, to spend, no place to have a meal and to get in out of the cold and the, 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 uh, the struggle that is traveling through. So it is that we should recognize in one another, in the church, in one anotherness, this world is not my home. And so we show hospitality to one another. For we are pilgrims in a strange land. But we show hospitality to one another. For we are going to keep on loving one another earnestly. We recognize that we are pilgrims traveling through this world. But we recognize that the call of our Savior is to earnestly, sincerely, genuinely love one another. Richard, can I trouble you to pull that curtain down? Thank you, sir. Good. Mm -mm. I, uh, I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily, I don't know. I don't necessarily think that qualifies as grumbling. Uh, but, uh, thank you, sir. So we're showing hospitality to one another for, for we would be obedient to, to keep loving. Isn't that wonderful when he says to, to, the, to the church, keep, I know you love one another. The, the word is to keep loving one another. Amen. But we show hospitality to one another for as we have been gifted, as we have been given a gift, we are going to use that which God has granted to us that we might serve others, serving others as good stewards of God's varied grace. You have nothing. You have nothing that has not been granted to you by sovereign God Almighty. It was His. And He has shared it with you. And He has done so that you might share it, that you might show hospitality to the church, to the fellowship of the saints, to your brothers and sisters in Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 and following, a, a passage that has, has genuinely impressed me throughout my Christian life. But here Jesus describes himself as that stranger. As that stranger in need of hospitality that stranger in need of someone who would love him enough to show hospitality. Verse, 25, verse 35, he says, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Verse 25, chapter 25, verse 43, I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Jesus certainly cast this gift of hospitality 
in very bleak contrast in not showing hospitality. And so it is that it is in the household of faith. It is in the church, in this covenant body, that we are called to, to show this hospitality to one another. For in so doing, we are showing that hospitality to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For it is in you that he dwells. And when you see Jesus, when you see Jesus in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, and when you love them enough that you would grant to them this gift of hospitality, it is in so doing that Jesus is being shown hospitality in their lives, in yours. Galatians 6.10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do not doubt. The primary responsibility, the primary responsibility of hospitality is to one another, in the church. This is further demonstrated that it is a prerequisite to the call of an elder in the church. In 1 Timothy 3.2, we have a, a catalog of character of that who would be called to be an elder. But in that list, we find the characteristic of being hospitable. Likewise, in Titus chapter 1, the same thing. List of characteristics of one who would be called to be an elder. Once again, but hospitable. But do not think for a minute that it is not only elders who must show hospitality, but rather it is in fact a mark of a true Christian. Looking in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and following, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Do not be shamed into it. Don't consider yourself under obligation, but rather that it is your heart. It is the heart of a Christian 
who has been saved by God's grace, who knows His love and the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of life eternal, that we would seek, we would desire that we might show hospitality to one another. Such is the demand of the New Testament. Such is the explanation of God's Word on what it means to be a Christian, on what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. Throughout the apostles' teaching on the celebration of the Lord's Supper, you're familiar with this, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Throughout this, this teaching, hospitality is the theme. Hospitality is the theme of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Again, you can't, you can't hold it against the Christians in Corinth. They were a new church. They needed guidance. They needed instruction. They needed to learn what it meant to be a Christian, to be the church of Jesus Christ. And so when they came together to, to have worship services, to, to, to eat together, have a meal, observe the Lord's Supper, what was going on to those that were well-to-do had plenty, they would sit down to their, their grilled T-bones, roasted asparagus, baked potatoes, banana pudding. Those that were not so well-to-do would have their bowl of gruel. Now, I've had some gruel that wasn't bad. Time and a place, you know what I mean? And then, and then they just carried this right on over into what they called, they thought they were doing the Lord's Supper. The, again, those that had plenty, they could have a nice big cup of wine, maybe two. And, and there were those that perhaps uh, they had a... a teaspoonful of wine, watered down with enough water to, to make a swallow. It was every man for himself. This was the first century church in Corinth. I think I went to that church one time. But they didn't know. And so the apostle, as he's inspired by God the Holy Spirit, the apostle writes to them and says, when, when you observe the Lord's Supper, th this ain't it, every man for himself. But rather, wait for one another. You recognize that, that all that occurs 
at the Lord's table is, occur, is occurring as a lesson. It's, it's teaching time. It's a time to bring to mind right, this do in remembrance of me, Jesus says. And so all that occurs here is, is a way of teaching, instructing, and calling to mind, remembrance. And the waiting for one another is as much a part of the Lord's Supper as it is taking the bread and wine. For it is in the waiting for one another that we are showing this hospitality, this love for one another, this care for one another. Even even in the churches that we're most familiar with, when we may have observed the Lord's Supper once a quarter, it, it seems that the, the lack of frequency or regularity, perhaps, it doesn't, doesn't really serve the purpose that, uh, that we would not become so very familiar, that it would become the same old thing one more time. I've done this before. We're doing it again. Church in Corinth, they didn't know what they were doing. And I suspect that far too often, while we, 2,000 years later, 2,000 years later, living in, in the Bible Belt of, of, of America, a Christian nation, we are people who, who, for the most part, have spent our lives going to church and taking the Lord's Supper. I want to submit to you that we need the instruction the guidance, the direction of the New Testament every bit as much as did the church in Corinth. When you come together, wait for one another. Encouragement that we would desire the good of others before oneself, before myself. That I would be more concerned about your experience, about your blessing, before it would ever enter into my mind to seek my own. For truly, there is a direct equality. Listen to this. There is a direct equality in love for others that exists as you love the church that is your love for Jesus Christ. If you would show your love, if you would show hospitality, 
if you would demonstrate your, your love, your gratitude, your appreciation, your acceptance of Jesus Christ as Savior, then show the hospitality, show the love that you would have for Christ to those in your church and the fellowship of the saints who are called the body of Christ. For if anyone, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That verse makes sense when you read the whole chapter and you understand <coughs> that the body is the body of Christ. When you understand that it is the church that is Paul is speaking of in discernment, discerning, understanding, recognizing, accepting that you are the body of Christ, guess where that's found? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For those of you that are not discerning the body, he goes on to say, don't you recognize? And he says it so emphatically, so pointedly, so directly. You are the body of Christ. Wait for one another. Showing hospitality to one another as you continue, keep on loving one another. The theological truths the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, we have, we have set before us the, what, what many would consider the epitome of New Testament doctrinal teaching. And these theological truths culminate in the teaching of what I have characterized as one anotherness in the concluding chapters of the book of Romans, emphasizing that the doctrinal fidelity found in the church, that that doctrinal fidelity is seen in that church that loves one another and shows it. Romans 15 Verse 5 and following. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It is this welcome one another that furthers our understanding of what it means to show hospitality to one another. For here again we encounter that standard that how we relate to each other in the church, how we relate to each other in the body of Christ, is how Christ relates to us. For you will recall, we are called to love one another. How? 
as Christ has loved us. We are called to forgive one another. How? As Christ has forgiven us. And so don't look lightly, don't pass over very casually this call to our lives that we would welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. For this is the standard by which we would welcome one another. For Christ did not snub us. He did not overlook us. He did not give us only the passing acknowledgement in the same mercy that is shown to all the world. But hear this. He welcomed us. He welcomed us. He brought us into his family. With love, he called us out of the world and bid us feast at his table. Christ has welcomed us, has welcomed us in, and has withheld nothing from us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 84, verse 11, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Christ has welcomed us and withholds no good thing. This is the measure of the relationship among God's people. No good thing does he withhold. Among God's people, no good thing is withheld. I think these words are set before us not as an admonition, but as encouragement. It's encouragement to keep on loving one another as you have. Encouragement to continue to desire to show hospitality to one another. To be willing to to wait for one another. And as we have that very real sense of having been welcomed by Jesus Christ, so we welcome others withholding no good thing. Thus I will not eat until you have eaten. I will not rest until you have rested. I will not know joy until I have shared my joy with you. Come on, Bill. It just says, welcome one another. You know what that means. It just means say hello. Be nice. Maybe you should shake hands. Don't be uppity. That's all it means. Welcome one another. Put out the welcome mat. 
Well, if that's what you think, how about this? Romans 16, 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. 1 Peter 5, 14. Greet one another with the kiss of love. There's your greeting. Our welcome our greeting to one another arises from a measure of our love for one another that is so great that we simply must express it. It is an, it is an overflowing, an overwhelming expression of our hearts for one another that simply must come out of us. John Piper wrote, I encourage all of you guys to fist bump with a holy fist bump. Take the culturally appropriate means of showing brotherhood or camaraderie or affection and make it holy. I read that to you to agree with John Piper that it is in fact the holiness of this display of affection that cries out to us. It is taking this kiss and making it holy that is of such great importance. Take that which is reserved for the dearest in life and make it holy. Take that very personal, very intimate expression of love and give it to Christ. If you would see Christ, look to the church. If you would see Jesus, look to your brothers and sisters in the church. And if you desire to demonstrate your love of Christ, demonstrate your love for one another. I'm going to walk on thin ice. For who can argue with John Piper? Don't tell anybody I said this. But I tell you, we have learned well. We have had it ingrained in us. A fear of intimacy. But I would say to you, do not allow our Western American culture of personal space to rob us of the miraculous sign of holy love. There is healing power in the touch of another human being. There is healing power in the touch of another human being. I have seen a nurse bend down and kiss the cheek of a dying person. I have seen the power. I have seen the miraculous power 
of a kiss. Very often, I have given the gift of Christian love through a holy touch, a hand on the shoulder, an arm around the neck. There is healing power in the touch of one who loves another, even when they are burdened down with grief or sorrow that is more than one can bear. I have known the joy that comes with a holy kiss from a precious brother or sister in Christ. Corrupted by the world does not mean abandoned by the church. Be discerning. Be discerning. Make it holy. A gift from God. A gift that God has given to me that I am returning to Him in you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that marvelous? A gift that God has given to me that I am returning to Him in you. That's in the Bible. I didn't make that up. That's what we've been talking about all the month of November. This is the one-anotherness one of, of God's people. If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Not in reluctance, not in a spirit of fear, but a spirit of affectionate Christian holy love. Encourage one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Exhort one another. Bear one another's burdens. Confess your sins to one another. And forgive one another. Show hospitality to one another. Wait on one another. Welcome one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.